Welcome to the Post-Christian Podcast. Our goal is to reframe, simplify, and focus on our mission to make disciples in a post-Christian culture. We discuss reaching new people and raising up leaders while removing the barriers of churchianity. I'm Eric Bryant, one of the executive pastors at Gateway Church in Austin, author of Not Like Me, and resource provider at ericbryant.org. Well, in today's episode, I'm excited to have someone I met a long time ago in Kuala Lumpur, uh, Sue N. Tan. Welcome. Thank you, man. It's so good, good to, to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can find what uh, Sue N. is up to at graceworks.com.sg. And uh, tell us about your ministry, what you've been doing in Singapore all this time. Okay. Well, yes, I, I'm a Malaysian, but now... Uh, residing and working in Singapore. I guess the heart of Graceworks is to see lives transformed through relationships, uh, through friendship. Uh, I think with our evangelical background, we are very strong on getting your doctrines correct. We are very strong on activism, let's go save the world. And we assume that relationships take place, but of course they don't. And the church can be one of the most uh, loneliest places in the world. Mm -hmm. And because we talk so much about it, but we often don't experience it. So our simple ministry is uh, spiritual friendship uh, for the, the, the modern day church. How to get folks understanding the importance of following Jesus in the company of friends and some simple ways that they can do this. Of course, this uh, extends to simple platforms like uh, 321, which is three friends meeting two hours once a month. Because whenever I talk about spiritual friendship, everybody will say, hey, that's a great idea. But in a busy town like Singapore, and I'm sure like Austin, you know, that's a great idea, but we're too busy. Say, hey, how about three friends meeting two hours once a month over a meal and, and sharing your life in Christ? I say, well, I think that's doable. And so we are promoting this. So it could be 421 or whatever. It's just a cute name. And uh, how to have healthy small groups. Now, many churches now have cell groups, small groups, but you throw 12 people in the room, there's no guarantee that they are really connecting from the heart. And so we, we do that as well. Uh, that we launch into things like uh, spiritual mentoring, because uh, in one sense, you need someone to guide you in your journey. So all this is uh, around the whole theme of relational transformation. And we do training, but we do publishing as well. So that's in a nutshell what yeah, what we believe God wants us to do in, in Singapore, Asia at this time. That's beautiful. Well, what I found so important about what you're doing is just this idea of through those friendships, not only helping uh, people really grow deeper in their faith, but as we grow deeper in our faith, um, being able to in friendships with people who don't know Jesus, helping them. And I, I just love the interview you did on the In Pursuit of Jesus with Rasul Berry. And, and you said something on there I thought was really important. Just this idea of how Jesus meets our deepest needs. And it's in the context of friendship that we can share that with others. And even how this emerging generation, their walk with God matches how they're living their life. Like they're activists. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of reaching people who might not come from a Christian background or might have rejected Christianity uh, uh, or, or, you know, their parents rejected Christianity. How are you seeing 
this life by life process working for helping people find faith? Well, I think one of the most uh, influential books I've read in recent times is uh, The Power of Meaning, which you have encountered by, I think it's Emily Smith, I think. Uh, and it's not a Christian book, but she uh, is saying that if you pursue happiness, uh, it, you may or may not get it. It doesn't last very long, but we are sustained by meaning. And in her extensive research, she said that people find meaning in at least four things. One is community, a place where we give and receive love. Purpose, that we wake up in the morning, we know what our life is about. And being part of a story, but I think what it means is being part of a redemptive story. That means bad things that happen to you uh, find meaning further down the road. Although I'm sure she wouldn't use that kind of language. And finally, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised, a, a hunger for transcendence. That mm. somehow life is more than just what we see and touch. So I said, hey, you know, I, I can write this book from a Christian perspective. But this is not a Christian book. I think the lady is a Sufi Muslim or something, but she's a psychologist, a philosopher, and she's done extensive research. And often in talking to folks then, instead of, especially in a post-Christian or non-Christian circles, I, I can't start by just uh, throwing scripture verses at them. But we want to examine this common human desires for love, for purpose, uh, that bad things can teach us things, and for God. And so we start our discussions at that level, and then we see where we go from there. And I think friendship is key. Uh, I see Jesus eating with a lot of people. We used to joke about this, but really I think inviting someone to a meal or accepting the invitation to a meal is often the first step to a friendship. I mean, you're just a pal. I mean, you're not some kind of evangelism candidate or something. You're just a friend. And how do we hear each other's stories, share our common pain and, and, and look for meaning in life together? So I think friendship indeed is not just for within the church. It is a basic way that Jesus has taught us how to reach out to people. People often think of evangelicals as people with positions, your positions on the LGBT matter, on politics, whatever. And we are reduced to positions. <laughs> like, hey, man, I'm a human being just like you, man. And I, of course, I have convictions. I, I don't betray that. But uh, I, I just want to be a friend. Uh, and I find, uh, this hunger for friendship in, in today's lonely world can often be the first step. Because the other thing you mentioned is about uh, a so-called woke generation. And maybe people like myself, I'm a boomer. And uh, we were influenced by our parents who went through the war, who went through depression. Their main focus was on survival. Make sure you have enough to eat, uh, a roof over your head. So survival issues was number one for boomers and silent that generation. But for the millennials, who for the most part have been time of relative uh, ease, this is pre-COVID, of course, uh, their search is for significance and meaning because they're not consumed by survival issues, then they have more space, more bandwidth to talk about what, what, what is the meaning and how can we be talking about going to heaven when there's a guy starving to death in front of your house, man? I mean, what, what kind of Christianity is this? I mean, I'm not impressed. Uh, because they, they, it, maybe the boomers and the silent, they actually expect to go to heaven very soon because people did die during the war. But not this generation. The, maybe they should, but they're not thinking about what happens when I die. Will you go to heaven when I die? But I'm looking at all these folks who are homeless, uh, devastated by the, the storm in Texas. And what does Christ have to say about all this? I mean, uh, you know, well, let's pray, you know. 
So, rightly or wrongly, if you want to reach out to this emerging generation, they must see uh, the relevance of the faith uh, to the human struggles of daily life. And, and I'm saying this not that we run away from evangelism. I still think that the ultimate solution for human ills is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've never backed away from that. But before they hear the gospel, they need to see the gospel at work. What, what does a loving God really looks like in, in, in all these people with deep needs, uh, racism, what have you, uh, in front of us? What, what does, what does your, the, the God that you're trying to push to me uh, really think about these things? So friendship, meaning, these are things that we have to uh, bear in mind as we try to reach a, an emerging generation, I think. Yeah. You know, it's really fascinating. This last week, you mentioned our storm here in Texas. Yeah, it, was, it was devastating. I mean, I've, I've been through other crisis scenarios, you know, and, and lost power, you know, maybe for a few hours, but it was really intense. I mean, there are folks who lost power for days and then lost water. And what was really beautiful in the middle of such a struggle is it forced us to rely on each other. I mean, we, we were texting and you know, doctors reaching out to us as neighbors, like we don't have food for our children. You know, could you help us get Infamil? Uh, women, you know, a woman who owned her home, you know, rushing into the church building, you know, I heard you had water, you know, and people, uh, you know, calling and texting me and trying to make sure that we would still be open to get them water. And it was, it was really um, difficult to see people struggling. And, you know, my family was affected too. And, you know, we had friends bring over food, but, but what was so beautiful is to see neighbors opening their home to neighbors, uh, people in the same life group at church, hosting someone from life group. And it's, it's what you said earlier, this idea of, you know, when you share a meal, you become friends. Well, now people you hardly know are living with you for several days. <laughs> and we really, you really get to know people uh, really, really well. There was a woman, there's a story of a, of a woman came from Houston all the way to Austin to do work. She was just making deliveries and she got stranded at a house and stayed for four days where she was trying to deliver groceries. An African-American woman from Houston stayed with this family in a upscale neighborhood in West Austin. And you just hear a story after story of people experiencing the best version of humanity. And yet it has to seem like it has to take place in the midst of a crisis. I love what you're saying with three, two, one. It's trying to add to a, a busy rhythm, uh, a, a, a time to slow down, to develop that friendship, you know, and even reaching out and developing those friendships with folks who don't know Jesus, how do we, um, how do we help that happen without having to go through power outages? <laughs> you know, it, what are some of the ways you've seen that deeper level of friendship take place? Because I think you're right. I think that is key in this post-Christian world uh, to show your faith, not just talk about it. Are you referring to relationships between Christians or reaching out to them? Yeah, either one. I mean, I think you're right that we're so busy that just developing meaningful friendships is a lost art. And so to have that accountability with believers and to be intentional about outreach, it sounds like you have with GraceWorks some real intentional ways of slowing people down. In addition to three, two, one, what are some other ways you've seen 
that take place, that intentional friendship blossom? Well, just a word about your previous point. Sometimes it does need a common tragedy to strip away all sorts of pretenses and we embrace our common broken humanity, our common needy humanity. So it's so sad, but sometimes you need something like that storm to, to strip away all our pretenses and defenses and just reveals our common humanity. So yeah. I wish it hadn't, it, it doesn't need storms, but, but there it is. Uh, no, no, no magic formula for reaching out except to be a true friend who listens. I think in this busy world, you can go for months without anyone actually really listening to you. Mm. Uh, all our conversations tend to be transactional at work or even in church. Or, can you get this done? Can I come by next week for this? Or, but someone who invites you out to a meal, hey man, how are you doing? And, and just shut up and listen. It sounds so ridiculously simple, but I think it stands out in a world where people, I don't know about your culture, so I don't want to be assuming, but so much of uh, human interactions these days is very transactional. And when someone finds that there's someone who actually listens to them, they actually begin after a while, to, they try to sell me something. After a while, they say, hey, you know, this is, this is like for real. One of my favorite stories actually uh, is a, a hairdresser uh, in, 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 in the heart of town. And uh, she came to know the Lord and, and she wanted to bring Christ into her hairdressing. So when her clients came to see her, number one, of course, she had to make sure that their scalp was healthy and their hair looked good. You're not going to share anything if you don't do that as a hairdresser. <laughs> but she, she began to really listen to her clients. I mean, you're shampooing someone. Say, hey, you know, how are you doing, man? And they'll say, okay, you know, my husband said, yes. And, and, and she just gave them the gift of listening. And... After a while, they say, hey, this person is more than just my hairdresser. She's a friend. She actually takes me seriously. And she would empathize, you know, empathetic listening. Uh, and you won't be surprised that after a while, a number of them actually uh, was willing to go to uh, some evangelistic meeting or even to hear her share the gospel. And some of them came to know the Lord. Wow. And I think she doesn't even have a college degree. I mean, she's just a hairdresser out there. And, and she was very creative. She, she put... Uh, Bible verses on her ceiling. Like, uh, the, the Lord knows every hair on your head. It was really, really, that means she's taking this seriously. She's working yeah. hard. And so I'm talking about the gift of listening. Uh, is there someone in your world now who asks you for a cup of coffee, uh, for a meal, and, and says, how are you doing? And shut up and actually listens to the answer. I, I'm sorry, there's no rocket science here. I, I think okay. just getting someone to feel valued enough for me to listen to you. I, I think that stands out in a very cold and lonely world, I think. I and from agree. there, you see what happens. Yeah. Well, and I love the story of the hairdresser because obviously in the end, they're wanting to hear more of her story and her story cannot help but include Jesus, right? It's, it didn't feel like I'm, she's trying to convert them. It doesn't feel like no. she's trying no. to you know, proselytize. She's just sharing her story and her That's story right. is filled with the love of Jesus. And yep. uh, and I love, you know, that she just does it in such a natural way. And in Singapore, you know, obviously uh, a wealthy nation and, and a, a nation known for uh, being westernized and yet it still has the Asian uh, feel. I know uh, you, you guys were bragging about the delicious food and I, I would Are just bragging. I'm sorry. Oh no, man! You made me hungry. It looks so good. <laughs> it's time for you to come back to this part of the world, man. That'd be great. Oh, post COVID. Post COVID. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I would, I would love to hear what are some of the other things you're seeing that is helping 
people who might not seem to have a lot of needs uh, discover they do need God. Robert, you mentioned a city that uh, is doing well financially. What you mean is a city that has a growing divide between rich and poor. Mm. Uh, this is universal. Yeah. So when you think of Singapore, you could think of New York or something like Toronto. Or something. It's, it's where a certain percentage are doing well. Of course, Singapore fights to try to create a, a strong uh, and large middle class for some kind of social stability. But there's still many who are still poor and, and, and struggling. So it's not true that everyone is doing well financially. Um, and again, maybe the COVID pandemic has been uh, used by God to open people's eyes that no matter how rich and powerful you are, there are just things outside your control. Mm. And, uh, uh, and that has forced people to rethink what is the ultimate meaning of life. And the reverse is that you're also now confronted by people who are hurting at your doorsteps. There were migrant workers who are hurting. And then now you have to decide what it means to be human, rich or poor. What does it mean to be human? Do I extend a hand to help them? So different people have responded differently. As we said, we are in the same storm, but not in the same ship. Some ships are definitely much more stable yeah. than others. But, uh, um, well, it, it has taken the COVID to open people's eyes, people's eyes to the fact that, hey, you know, there are just things, no matter how rich or powerful you are, there are things outside your control. And so what do you do with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, too, what's really been important, like you said, this, this pandemic has revealed the divide and even the need that perhaps was too easily and quickly ignored. And what yep. is the church going to do about it? And yep. like you said earlier, these younger generation, you know, millennials, Gen Z, they don't want to just hear about changing the world. They're out there doing it, you know, and then if we yep. can help them, uh, guide them and, and be a part of it, you know, yep. uh, create the space, you know, as Gen Xers and boomers, it does feel like there is a, a real important place for the church to, to be involved. And, you know, one of the things we just, I mean, it was so simple uh, we just opened our building when people didn't have power because our, our building still had power. And so people could come and charge their phones, you know, warm up a little bit. Uh, the second day, none of us could get there. It was too icy. I actually was driving there and, and made it up a hill only to start sliding back oh, down. Man. It was so pretty dangerous. scary. Yeah. yeah man. And, you know, we were, we were uh, having, a, people were having to put their food outside because the refrigerators, you know, had no power to keep things cool. And then we had, uh, you know, we were taking snow to melt it so we could flush the toilet. You know, it yeah. was just, just craziness, but, Crazy thing. but what was so neat is as so many of our people got involved in helping, you know, we have a, a family that owns a brewery and they still had running water. It was pre-boiled, pre-treated. So they just, I mean, all day, every day while people didn't have water, were just open and and letting people fill up, you know, water coolers. We, we just saw people so proud of their church. Like, man, I'm so glad I'm a part of a community that's trying to love and serve. And what it did is it created kind of a positive peer pressure mm. to also get involved, <laughs> you yes. know? And so yeah. we had folks coming to the food pantry on Saturday to get food and water and then coming back on Sunday to serve, you know? And, and these are people that are part of our church that, that not, not normally part of those who are in need. And I think what it did is it also opened our eyes to 
what it must feel like to be in, in need and in want. You know, it's like there is a sense now that the church should be about this more often. And I loved how you said that earlier. There's just an activism that's so important. Uh, what are some of the things you're seeing um, as effective ways to serve, like to, to get people who may not be skilled to just start helping? How do, how do you mobilize folks in that way? Well, one, let me make a different point first. I think when we talk about living out the gospel, I, I, I sense a little bit of pushback from the older evangelicals who remember the social gospel and are afraid that if we go too far down this road, we will no longer take evangelism seriously. Uh, I get a bit of pushback because they are, they've been burned by this previous memory when all the action shifted to social action and we weren't sharing the gospel. So uh, I need to remind folks that this is not an either or. If you focus on the kingdom of God as our primary focus, then we need to both show and tell the kingdom. Mm. Tell evangelism, show what does the gospel really mean in real life. So I'm just saying that this is one of the dialogues I have, especially with older, That's as the younger ones push for activism, uh, the older ones, some of them are a bit nervous and I have to have a chat with them. That's good. Um, we didn't have that kind of a huge, terrible uh, snowstorm, but it's the pandemic now. I think it has been a time for churches which are so focused on Sunday worship. The sexy thing was Sunday worship, great buildings, great musicians, powerful speakers, and what have you. And that, that seemed to be the primary focus of most churches. So when they couldn't meet, we were not allowed to meet. And uh, what does church mean now? <laughs> yeah. And so I think yeah. two things that have come back. And one is the importance of face-to-face -face community. And for a while, it meant Zoom to Zoom community. Yeah. And, and the need to reach out. So middle upper middle class churches who often may not intentionally be reaching out to the poor or the homeless, I began to allow folks to stay in their buildings. This would have never happen in, in mm. pre-COVID days. Wow. So you don't need a, a, a rocket science or PhD to do this. Now, can you serve food? Uh, can you, there's a roster of folks to care for the homeless who are now staying in your church building. And, and, and so I think if we learn our lessons, there'll be this fresh uh, rediscovery of community and ministry. Yeah. Uh, and this is not because of snowstorm, but because of the pandemic. Uh, yeah. I, I see this and I hope this will continue. And there's no rush back to the old norms, which means a rah-rah thing on Sunday. I mean, I, I'm all for large worship services, but if that's the only thing going for you. I think we are not at the heart of the gospel, I don't yeah. think. That's a great way to say it. When I was at uh, Mosaic in LA, one of our interns named Scott Long once said, you know, I feel like Sundays is like an advertisement for our community. It's, it's just the, the beginning of what we have here. You know, and I love that image. It, and what you just said is so important. If that's all you got, uh, that's not truly living out who Jesus has called us to be. Uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount was just a part of his ministry, right? There's still the healing and the serving and going out. And, and so I, I appreciate so much your encouragement to us on really building those deeper friendships with others of faith and doing the same with those who don't know Jesus so that we can help, uh, help them find what we've discovered. Yeah. So I, I think let's be clear that Jesus spent a lot of time with the 12 and the three. Mm -hmm. Peter, James, and John, the 12 disciples, although he had the ministry to the masses. And so if our large services on Sunday are shut down, then we don't have access to that advertisement. Does that mean that church life now grinds to a stop? I, I don't think so. 
I've now seen some churches here which have now decided to reverse. Last time, Sunday was the main show and cell group was a supporting show. Now they're going to make cell groups the main thing and Sunday will support the cell groups. And wow. so every CG leader is now a shepherd. This is quite radical. And in fact, they're even thinking maybe we don't even have to meet as a large group every Sunday, but we mm -hmm. have to empower our small groups to really be where the action is. So I'm not sure all of us will go that far down that road, but it was just a statement that the heart of Christianity is relational, not performance. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And without the pandemic, they, none of us would have had to pause, press the pause button and to rethink these things. Yeah, that's great. Sue Ann, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Keep up your amazing work. So good to see you again. And I hope to see you again, brother. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us on the Post-Christian Podcast. More resources available at ericbryant.org.